God of Jacob, we cry out to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name that's more powerful than the name of Jesus. And right now, God, we ask you to move in our life, move in our home. Oh, Lord, I pray for that person who came to church who's heavy-hearted right now or discouraged. I pray for that person who's held in bondage and doesn't even know it. Set them free today. I pray for that person who's watching online, God, who is doing other things, Lord. I pray, God, that you work a miracle in their life. Remind them that you are a big God. God, there's so many things happening right now, Lord, and we just trust you. Our hope is in you, Jesus, and we look forward to you returning again one day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We give our children to you, God. We give our homes to you, our families. God, I just pray for that person who came, who's full of guilt right now. I pray that they experience your grace and your mercy. That person who came and is full of hurt, would you heal them, Lord? Touch them, God. Thank you for your presence here, Lord, in the service. Thank you for your love and your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them God's a big God. Can you do that? God's a big God. God is a big God. I'm sorry, you can have a seat after you tell someone, after you tell 10 people that, you can have a seat and uh, tell them God's a big God. Um, you know, this week has been an exciting week in the life of Thorn Creek Church. If you're watching online or if you're here for the first time and you don't know what I'm talking about, I want to share with you some things that have happened this last week. We had what's, what's uh, known as Hope Week. And for the last seven consecutive days, uh, we have been partnering with different organizations and loving in different communities. And it's been so much fun. Um, I want to give you an idea of what your church has been doing. Um, last Sunday, we were at the Renaissance Apartments. Uh, the Renaissance Apartments uh, is a, 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 a community in South Thornton that uh, really has a lot of uh, low-income families, families that are just getting out of the uh, streets, literally, and uh, it used to be owned by the Colorado Coalition of the Homeless, and we went there, and we had a whole bunch of volunteers from Thorn Creek, and we fed them uh, burgers and dogs, and we played games with their kids, and it was an amazing, amazing time. Um, Monday, uh, we had a, a representative from Refined. It's a Refined is a program that works with victims of sex trafficking. And we had, I believe it was close to 30 Thorn Creekers here sitting down in a class learning about uh, this this uh, this program and how we can we can be a blessing to them and it was a great time that was on Monday on Tuesday we worked with an organization called Urban Farm Urban Farm provides community and agricultural education as an alternative for urban youth and uh, th these are kids who are going through hard times. And there's something therapeutic about these kids working with cows and horses and goats and chickens. And that we were there and we helped them out and cleaned up some pens. It was a great, great time. I came home that day and my dog just put his nose on me and wouldn't let me go. I just smelled like a bunch of good farm animals to him. On Wednesday, we worked with an organization called Third Way Center. And uh, these, these, this organization serves teens coming out of abusive situations and they break the cycle of of generational generational trauma and uh, we went there and uh, at third way center that was in downtown denver and we renovated or we helped get prepare a, an apartment for one of these young students um, they were going to paint it that same day so we were taping and putting plastic down and we we're working in multiple rooms and and a, a great great time we worked in a building that was built in 1904 this building amazing and then on on thursday or excuse me that same day on Wednesday, we worked with an organization called Hope House. 
Hope House is this holistic organization that serves teen moms. And we went, we provided lasagna for them so that for their moms to eat. And then we got a tour of this wonderful, wonderful organization that comes along young, young moms uh, who are going through difficult times, challenging times. On Thursday, we worked with an organization called Beyond Hope, and they serve families experiencing poverty and homelessness and we worked with them and that was thursday on friday we worked with synergy village we were way down south it's about a 40 minute 35 minute drive or something like that and it's a transitional housing for people coming out of homelessness and uh, we actually uh, set up uh, we cooked for them we had burgers and we had dogs and we watched a movie together we set it all up and on their lawn it, the lord gave us a beautiful beautiful night and we had a great time just ministering to them and loving on them. And then this morning on Saturday, we, we cleaned up streets. So we adopted two streets here in, in North Denver, and we had close to 30 volunteers showing up to pick up trash along Washington and 136. So I want to give you just a video here of what we did, and I wanted to share with you what we did all seven days so that you have an understanding of what you're watching. Take a look at this video. Yeah, put your hands together, guys. 
put your hands together for the church. You know, guys, it takes work to be the church, you know, to really be the church. It takes sacrifice, it takes work, and uh, sometimes there's fatigue. It's not always convenient, it's not always comfortable, it's not always about your schedule. And I'm so grateful, I'm so proud of our church. So many people participated in this and did it with an awesome attitude. You, you know you're a great church when you can be cleaning up you know, pi, you know, goat poop and sheep poop and laughing throughout the whole time. You, can, you know you're in a good place when you can be sitting in the bathroom taping up the floor and the, and the walls and staying in one bathroom for two hours and have a good attitude the whole time. And that's our church. Thorn Creek does that stuff. So thank you so much for all of you who have uh, participated in that. Um, I want to brag about Kaylee. Kaylee is the one who oversaw Would you put your hands together for Kaylee? God bless her. You know, she's our expansion ministries director. And this has been kind of like a vacation Bible school for her because uh, she put together this whole thing over, I think she called over 100 organizations trying to figure out which organizations to work with. There's a lot of logistics involved. She went and had several meetings before we actually showed up. So she put a lot of work into this. So thank you, Kaylee. We love you. And you made us a better church. We're using your gifts. So thank you so much. And she's so committed. I know, I think on one of the events, I think it was the Renaissance, we were, we, we were about done. And I said, uh, all right, uh, should we pack up? And she said, like, we have another hour and a half here, Pastor Ruben. We're not leaving yet. And I thought, well, okay, I know we're in it now. Uh, so, but I, I, we need someone like that. We all need to be like that. And she's serious about loving people as well. Hey, we have these shirts I want to uh, share with you guys. Um, we have uh, about a hundred or 60 or something like that left. And we, we want to give you an opportunity to help us out. So we're selling each for $5. It costs us more to, to get it, but we're just trying to recoup some costs. So at the end uh, of the service, you can go to the welcome bar and they take credit cards as well. So five bucks. And uh, if you want to give a little more, that's fine. But we want to encourage you to, to pick up a shirt and it's a, it's a good memory. Um, speaking of the Renaissance, uh, we have something coming up. Thanksgiving. Can you believe I said Thanksgiving from stage? Um, we have an annual event called Feed 5000. And this is when uh, we partner with Food for Hope. Uh, Thorn Creek has been doing this a long time. And uh, we, we feed, uh, actually, it's probably a little over 5,000 people. Uh, we partner with about 15, maybe even 17 schools, something like that. And uh, it, it all started with, with loving on people who, were, who are going through hard times and feeding the school that we that we feed on a weekly basis so uh, this year I want to, I want to encourage you to go to feed 5000.gibs and if you go to that place you can sponsor a box one box uh, which includes um, either a turkey or ham whatever that family would like uh, one box feeds the entire family so each box is $30, $30 for each box. And we would encourage you now to start building that into your budget. You can go there and you can buy a box today right now. If you want to go online, you can go right there to feed5000.gives and you can, you can buy a box. But we're going to try to, uh, we're going to try to sponsor as many boxes as possible. And we're ramping up for this big week in November. I hope you're going to be a part of it. It's called Feed 5000. So let's pray and we'll jump into this message here, guys. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the honor to be uh, your hands and, and your feet. Such an honor to be your church, Lord. And uh, thank you for the many conversations that we had with people where we got to talk about your love and your grace. Um, we got to encourage some people this week. And uh, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for this church and the many people who sacrificed their time to love on others in such a selfless way. Thank you, God. Thank you. And, and now, Lord, we just ask for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit's already here, but now, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit works in me and through me. And, um, you know, a lot of us are tired, Lord, from Hope Week. So I pray you give me special strength to deliver your word. Um, would you quicken hearts? Would you change hearts? Transform people. Change minds, Lord deliver people, strengthen people. I pray everyone hears a word from you, God. Give us all a word from you. And may it fall on good ground, Lord. So soften our hearts right now, God. I don't want to have a hard heart. Give us soft hearts to receive your word. 
So, Lord, tear down walls and tear down the scales from our eyes and remove the veil from our face, Lord. And may we see you clearly. May we hear you clearly. May we receive your word and be different from when we came in. So have your way. I pray for those online as well. I pray that you move in that heart and uh, change and transform as well. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all this. Amen. 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 God is good. God is good. He is great. Uh, thank you for being a part of all this stuff. Hey, today uh, we're in this series called How, and we're in part four. And today the question is how to live or how do you live in a blended family? In a blended family. Let's understand what a blended family is, because I think a lot of us can identify with this. A blended family is also known as a step family, is a family formed when two people come together and bring a child or children from previous relationships. That's what a blended family is. Um, personally, I know what a blended family is. I grew up in a blended family. I know what it's like to have a biological father and a stepfather. I know what it's like to have a, a, a sister and a stepsister. I understand what it's like to have a step aunt or a step grandparent and, and the dynamics of being part of that. And I, my guess is a lot of you do as well because stats say this, 42% of American adults have at least one step relative in their family, 42%. That's a lot, isn't it? It's estimated that 2,100 new step families are formed every day in the U.S. How many of you have been impacted by a step family? You know what it's like a little bit? Yeah, you can raise your hand. A lot of us, a lot of us do. We know those dynamics and it's a challenge kind of thing. When you look at the Bible, you might be surprised to find out that uh, blended families are talked about a lot in the Bible. They're talked about a lot in the Bible. And you see it. As I prayed about this message, the Lord led me to a famous family that became a blended family. It's when we talked about seeing the, the God of Jacob. And we're talking about Jacob's family here. So here it is. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6 says this. Now, Sarai, this is before Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, Sarai, Abraham's wife, that's Abraham, had not been able to bear children for him, um, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Now, the backstory behind this, when you look at Genesis, you read about a time when God promised Abraham that he would have a son and he would multiply the descendants of this son as many as the stars in the sky. So there's this promise that God gives Abraham. Now the problem is there's no child yet. Have you ever waited on God? You have a promise from the Lord and you're waiting and you're waiting and waiting and nothing's happening. Well, that's kind of what's happened here. Um, Sarah was, has not been able to get pregnant. Abraham hasn't been able to, uh, hasn't been able to get her pregnant, whatever reason. Uh, verse 2 says, so Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Isn't that interesting how she comes to this conclusion? And maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Go and sleep with my servant. There's her idea. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. Imagine that. You know what? I can't get pregnant. Here's another woman you can sleep with. Why don't you do that? And Abraham's like, that's a great idea. I'll go ahead and do that. <laughs> and then his wife's totally cool with it. And, and he's like, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. So verse 3 says this. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Everyone say contempt. Contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. <laughs> I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. You know what that word contempt? It means this, the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. And that's how Hagar is treating Sarai. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Verse 6, Abraham replied, look, 
She is your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally, what did she do to her? She finally ran away. Have you, have you ever been there before when you just want to run away? It's just, it's too hard. And you'd rather just run away. And that's where she's at. Um, and this passage tells us a lot. Uh, before any children are born, you know, eventually Hagar has a son. You might know his, his name, Ishmael. Eventually, Hagar has Ishmael as a son. Eventually, Sarah has a son too. Do you remember his name? Isaac. Eventually, that's her son. But before Ishmael is born, before Isaac is born, there's already hatred in the home. There's contempt. They're at each other already. Before the children have even come into the world, you have this history, and, 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 and there's already bad blood. There's jealousy, there's strife, there's anger, there's hurt, there's pain. Have you ever, have you ever grown up regretting past decisions you've made? I think all of us have. You ever look back in your life and said, why did I make that decision? What was I thinking? I, I think about Abraham and I think about, you know, that moment when he turned to his wife and said, I think that's a great idea. Let's stop waiting on God and let's move on to another woman. And I think, I think Abraham looks back at that and says, what was I thinking? That created so many problems. And now we have two nations against each other. Why in the world that I had that weak moment and I followed the advice of my wife when she was at a weak place. Why did I do that? I should have never done that. It also dawned on me something else as I looked at this passage. Um, Abraham and Sarai, they want a blessed life. They want a better life. They get this promise from God in Genesis, and, and they're like, okay, great. God's going to give us this blessed life. And I think all of us could identify with this because all of us want a better life. Don't you want a better life? Don't you want a blessed life? I think that's in all of us. And sometimes we can make decisions that are either premature or we're done waiting or we can say God needs our help and it's not happening here. So I'm going to let's do this. So to make it easier for God and we can make decisions like that, that we regret later. When you look at this passage and uh, this whole thing happens in Genesis chapter 16. But when you look at chapters 17 through 20, all of a sudden, like the scene changes, yeah, you, see, you see this covenant that's being established. Uh, circumcision comes into play. And, and, and you see that. You see Sarai, her name is changed to Sarah. Um, Abraham's name is changed to Abraham. And then a son is promised to Sarah. She laughs because she thinks, I'm too old. How can I get pregnant? And then also you see, read the story about Abraham interceding for this place called Sodom. And, and you see this whole thing go down and how God used Abraham. And then you also read about Abraham deceiving a guy named King Abimelech, and, and he deceives him. Um, and, and then in chapter 21, then it goes back to the story of, of Abraham and Sarah and, and Hagar and the kids. And it says this, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. So I wanted to talk about Genesis chapter 17 and 20 for a reason. Because you see this gap where you see God promises Abraham a, a son and Sarah gets tired of waiting and she says, here's Hagar, my Egyptian maidservant, and have sex with her. And, 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 and that happens and that was wrong. And then this chapter 17 and 20 happens and then it picks up again in chapter 21. And all of a sudden, it's about 13, 14 years later, she gets pregnant and they have a son named Isaac. So here's what the Lord showed me. Here it is. God works in the middle of our dysfunctional, worry-prone, impulsive, bitter blended relationships. Isn't it something when you look at chapter 17 through 20, you see the purpose of God still go forward. Have you, do you hear what I'm saying? The purpose of God still goes forward. And sometimes we can make such a mess of our own life. And we think, why did I make this mess? Or why am I at this place? And what I've discovered is many times God works in spite of us. 
And many times God works even through our bitterness, through our resentment, through our jealousy, through our anger. God works in the midst of it, and his purpose just kind of works right through it all. Even in spite of us, he's so good, he's so loving, he sees our life with a greater perspective than you and I see it. And I love chapter 17 through 20 because of that. Chapter 21, you hear what I'm talking about? I got somebody say amen. Angels, I need you to help me because this church is not helping me. I need you to help me. Uh, verse 9. Verse 9 said, so Sarah, here it is. Sarah saw Ishmael. Okay, so now you got to understand the story. Sarah has a son. What's his name? Isaac. Yep. And Hagar has a son. His name is Ishmael. So you have Isaac and you have Ishmael. So look at it in another way. Sarah is now the stepmother to Ishmael. At the same dad. And Hagar is the stepmother to Isaac, right? That's what Hagar is. So one day, um, chapter 21 is really interesting because they're having a party. There is this party that's happening because Isaac has come of age and it's like a celebration and they've got hot dogs going and brats and burgers and the music going and it's great. But verse 9 says this, but Sarah saw Ishmael, remember he's about 13, 14 years older, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. Now, any mama bears in the house, you know what I'm talking about? If you want to see another side to a mother, all you have to do is talk about their kids, touch their kids, whatever it is, and you see this lioness come out of that woman like you've not seen before. It doesn't matter how cute and dainty they are. They could become a fierce. You might think they're quiet. Oh, just mess with their kids, and you'll see how quiet they are. So verse 10 says, so she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. I can only imagine the scene. I think Abraham... And Sarah were in the kitchen or something. <laughs> and she's looking out the, the bathroom, the kitchen window, and she sees Ishmael bully her son Isaac, and she watches it. And like any mom, she's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, honey, come on over here, come on over here. They're bullying my kid. I can't believe my kid is being bullied by someone else. Oh, let me not, this is it. Send her out. Get rid of her. Get rid of her. Stop the music. Turn off the, the propane, and we're just going to, the party's over. The party's over. I'm done with it. Now, now, ladies, don't act like you have no idea what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's another side to you. Some of us have seen it before, so don't pretend there's no side to you. There's a side to you. And that's what happened here with Sarah. See, so she saw Ishmael, and it was that slave woman. Incidentally, Ishmael, that name has come to symbolize orphans, exiles, and social outcasts. And here you have the beginning of this blended family. Blended families have these extra stressors in their life. First, you typically have someone else's ex. And then you have someone else's children. Now, here's the truth, guys. We love our children. We love our children. And we look at other children many times as like, this is my kid and this is the other kid. Let's just, can we just be honest? And you look after your kid. And if your kid is hurt, that angers you. If they're inconvenienced, that angers you. You watch your kids and, and, and you just take care of them. You might put them in bubble wrap, whatever you do. You just, you just want them to be okay. And that's just kind of how you see it. And that's, you're like Sarah. She's the same way. And let me say this to encourage all of us. Every family is dysfunctional in some way. Every family is dysfunctional in some way. All of us, myself included. We all are dysfunctional in some way. The reason behind that is because sin runs in our home, runs in our own veins and in flesh, and we make decisions that we shouldn't have made. And that's why, um, that's why we can be dysfunctional. So as I looked at this story, the Lord showed me 
five dysfunctions or five challenges in this home. Now, this may not be just for blended families. This could be for any family. But here's the challenge we face. So I'm going to give you these five challenges. We're going to put them up on the screen. Here's the first challenge in a blended family situation. Number one is this. You have history. You have history. Now, there's good history, there's history, and there's bad history. Incidentally, when you look over your life, I'm convinced most of us, when we look over our life, we don't remember the little things, the details, the things that we did. We remember moments, moments that happened, that argument or that vacation or that time when you were hurt or that time when, when, when you bled, that time when you were full of joy, or that time when the, when the birth of your child came, that time, whatever it is, we remember moments, good and bad and painful and joyful. We remember moments in our life. So when you bring that history into a home, it could be challenging at time. Hagar and Sarah, or Sarai, they had history. Before those kids were born, they had history. They had some pretty, pretty uh, strong conversation before those children were, were born. But, but think about how their relationship changed. How did it change? The relationship changed after Hagar got pregnant. What did it look like before Hagar got pregnant? Did they go out for coffee? Did they hang out, go out to Starbucks? Did they go on walks in their neighborhood together? Were, were, were they at the church together and hanging out? Did they used to sit together and raise their hands and worship God together? After Hagar got pregnant, Hagar changed. Then she said some words. She, she said some words that, that hurt Sarah. And all of a sudden, their relationship changed. See, they have history. Have you ever had one of those relationships where it used to be good? And something happened, whether it was weird or whatever, and all of a sudden, it's become weird now? The relationship, they used to be close friends, and, and now you don't ever talk to them anymore, or used to dream together. And now you don't even talk to each other anymore. You used to serve together. And now there's not one word spoken to each other because there's history and that those painful experiences, the devil can use painful experiences to affect today, to affect reality. They have history. So if you want to start over and you're in a situation with family or even friends, here's what you need to do. You just need to go out and have coffee with them and say, hey, can we start over? Can we do this? See, every family has secrets. Shh. Every family has secrets. Every family has struggles. Every family has issues. Every family has hurts. Every family has history. Every family. And can we be honest? We really, we really, uh, we act like we know what to do, but we don't know what to do. You know, we said before, our kids didn't come with any kind of manual. We're kind of figuring it out as we go. We, we, don't, we don't really know what to do. And sometimes we listen to a podcast or we read an article or watch some movie and all of a sudden we're experts and we can teach other people how to do it. We don't know what we're doing. We're all just figuring it out and growing and leaning on God and trusting his grace and saying, how do I do this, Lord? You know, if we just humble ourselves and say, you know what, we're in this together and we're going to grow together and we're going to study God's word together and we're going to do this together, it would be so much easier, guys, if we just stopped pretending like we knew the answers. It would be so much better. If you could humble yourself, it would be a brand new beginning. You'd be teachable as well. You'd be teachable as well. Have you ever, tried, you ever gotten advice from someone about parenting and you listen to them? But then you look at their kids, you know what I'm talking about? And you don't say anything. You ever been that? Have you ever gotten advice from someone about marriage and you see the way he treats his wife or she treats him and you don't say anything? You know what I'm talking about? You ever gotten those? Because we see ourselves a certain way. We see ourselves a certain way. And, 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 and it's, you know, we don't want to go there. We just leave them alone. Or they call themselves a Christian and you look at them and you look at their life, and you look at and you're like, okay, that's great. I'm glad you're a Christian, but I don't want to be that kind of Christian. You know, have you been there before? People, we have a way of looking at ourselves, don't we? We have a way of looking. Here's the other challenge. Number two is this. You might have two different religions or two different value systems. This is a big deal. Two different value systems. 
What do you allow to pass? What don't you allow to pass? Two different value systems of right and wrong. Hagar is an Egyptian mom. Well, if you look at Egypt, that's a polytheistic culture. In other words, they worship many gods. They worship many gods. Well, Sarah, she's an Israelite, monotheistic. They're famous for worshiping one God. So Sarah worships one God, and, and, and she, she follows, you know, the, these laws, and, 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 and she, she, you know, follows the God of the Bible. And, but, but Hagar has many gods, and so that can become a problem when you're, when you're in a home. So if you want to start over, first thing you've got to do is, is look at your value system and determine, well, which God are you going to serve? Which God are you going to pursue? Which God are you going to, that's the truth. When you try to reconcile with someone, and if they have another God than you, it's really hard to come to an agreement that this is wrong or this is right. It's really hard. Because if you, if you serve one God and I serve another God, you might look at me and I say, oh, I want to give to the church. And then someone look at, what are you talking about? You want to give to the church. That's not why we're here. We're just here to enjoy the service. What are you doing? What are you talking about? That can become a contentious place right there. Or I want to, I want to serve at the church. And then, and then I, I, I've heard husbands look at wives and say, the wife says, I want to serve in the church. And the husband says, what are you talking about? You're spending too much time at the church. Don't serve at the church. You're spending too much time over there. You need to back off. Or you know what? You're changing. Whoa, why are you changing? You're becoming fanatical. You shouldn't be, you know, do you understand? We have two different value systems. It's okay to cheat on the IRS a little bit. It's okay to do that, whatever. And if you have two different value systems, it's really hard to come together. Number three is you have two different economic situations. And when you look at Hagar and Sarah, two different economic situations. Sarah is Abraham's wife. There's the promise right there. God's going to bless them. As, and everywhere they set foot, foot, there's going to be blessings, and it's going to be them. There's this great promise of possession, material possession, and descendants and family. And well, when you look at Hagar, she's, as Sarah called her, the bondwoman, the bond slave. She's not legally, legally his wife. Have you ever been around people who just enjoy putting other people in, the pla- in their place? You know what I'm talking about? They subtly say things just to make sure you know you're not really part of the family. You know you're not really in the circle. You know that, right? You know that. If it came to push to shove, if there was only one plate and then both of you were sitting here, I, you wouldn't be getting the plate. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been around those people? That's not the heart of God. That's not the way God works. So now you have Sarah, the girl, the woman's driving a Tesla, and then you have Hagar driving a Yugo. I mean, it's just like these are two different economic situations. And incidentally, we can use stuff to camouflage ourselves, can't we? We can use stuff to keep other people at arm's distance. We can use stuff to communicate to others that we forgive them. We can use our stuff to hide behind. We can use our stuff as a reason why we can't do something. Fourth challenge, here it is, fourth challenge. You have two families that are born out of hurt and pain. When you have blended families coming together, well, there was, at some point, there was some hurt and there was some pain. For those of you who've been through a divorce, I've been told it's about like take cutting off your right arm and still surviving. It's painful. It's painful for everyone. And there's hurt and pain when you look at history. And I've said it before, hurt and pain is wonderful fertilizer for the devil because it's always personal. Hurt and pain is always personal. When you're the person who's been hurt, it's so personal. You don't care what other people think. It's as if it happened yesterday and it's still in your mind. And that hurt you believe can justify what you say today, how you treat others today, how you don't treat others today, how you act, your relationships. You use that hurt and pain to justify who you are today. And hurt and pain is part of history, that hurt and pain. Sarah couldn't get pregnant. 
Hagar got pregnant just that quick. How do you think that made Sarah feel when Hagar got pregnant that quick? God doesn't love me. Why did she get pregnant so quickly? I've been trying with my husband for years. Hasn't happened. And she gets pregnant just that. It's not fair. It's not fair. And then all of a sudden, Hagar turns on her and starts saying some things to her. And now Sarah is angry and she's hurt and all these things happen. When her son comes around, that's when she says, this is my chance to put Hagar in her place. Isaac's the promise, not Ishmael. And I'm going to make sure Hagar knows she's not part of the promise. Eventually, she kicks her out. Eventually, she kicks her out and says, you're not welcome in this home. And Abraham is like, why in the world did I get into this? Something we have to understand and realize is everybody desires unconditional love. We all need love. We all desire uh, God's best in our life. We all need healing in our life. All of us need healing in our life. I need healing in my life. Just, just this morning, I was driving, and I was thinking about a, a past conversation that I had a while back, and as I was talking about it, I realized, why, why am I having these weird feelings in my heart? And I, I, I didn't like it, and I said, okay, Lord, there's something there. I need you to heal in me. I need, there's some healing that still needs to be done, because as I'm thinking about it, I feel these things bubble up inside of me. That's evidence that it's not healed yet. And I don't want my past hurt and pain to rob me from the life God has for me today. I want God's will for my life today, don't you? Don't you want God's will for your life today? Every family member needs support. Number five is this. When you have a blended family, and this happens sometimes in families too, you have complex alliances that develop. When the kids are old enough to understand, we're going to tell them what happened. What do you think the conversation was like with Hagar and Ishmael? Look, son, here's the truth. You're the oldest. You're the first one. You're the promise. That's the truth. Don't listen to Sarah. She's nothing. She's just jealous. And you're stronger. than You're older than Isaac anyway. What about Sarah? Can you imagine her? Look, she is just, she, she was a one-night stand. That's all she, who was hired for the night. That's all she was. And, and she has this, she's not even, she's not part of it. She wasn't there. She hasn't been with me. And, you know, she hasn't been with us. And, and you know what? And you know what you're doing? I want to teach my children how to hate. I want to, che- I want to teach them how to resent others. We don't talk to him. We don't talk to her. We don't talk to them. And this is why. And you cultivate in them this resentful spirit. And you teach them, oh, we don't go and talk to them anymore. because We don't go to that church because that pastor did this. Hello. We don't go, we don't do that. How in the world do we raise children who know the love and grace of God in a healthy way when we're teaching them how to hate and be resentful and bitter? How do you teach them? You can't. You can't. We all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. All of us need the grace of God. If you want to start over, and let me just say that, are you teaching your children how to be resentful? Are you teaching your children how to be unforgiving? Are you teaching your children how to shut down? Are you teaching your children how to ignore others? Are you teaching your children how to be selfish? Mm. If you want to start over, teach your children what the love of God looks like. Be careful what you share with them. Some of you need to love on your ex. I'm not saying go back necessarily. I mean, I understand time is gone and you have a new life, and I understand that there might be some things that you've learned, but it's okay to be kind, to be compassionate. We have to learn to look at people through the eyes of God. God looks at us, and you know what he sees? He recognizes how short our life is, first of all. Our life is just a breath, isn't it? It's the, it's the width of our hand is what Scripture says. And he looks at us, and he recognizes how broken and how much we need him. And when you start looking at people through the eyes of God, your attitude will change. You'll even start to pray for them, maybe in a way that you never have before. Pray for the person that has gotten under your skin. Pray for the person that you've shut out 
in your life. See, family is not about the outside, it's about the inside. It's not about the outside, it's about the inside. So you can get dressed up and put on your best for Easter or for Christmas or for the pictures that you're going to take with that photographer. I, I love talking to photographers. Sometimes we take family pictures, and sometimes I ask them. I've asked them before. So, so, so you, take, you see so many families, and they always say, oh, you can tell which families aren't used to being together. You can tell which families aren't used to touching each other. You can tell which families aren't used to laughing together. Just by, just by her taking pictures, you can tell what the family is like. And see, we can, we can pretend, we can go to church and put on our best and do all those things. But if you want to have a strong family, work on the inside. Work on the inside. The outside will take care of itself. You'll laugh over peanut butter and jelly. It doesn't, you don't need anything else. You'll have a vacation at your house. You don't have to go anywhere. Work on the inside. Even if you want to be a follower, a strong person, strong follower of Christ, work on the inside. Don't work out. You don't have to worry about the outside. Work on the inside. Put God's word in the center of your life. Here's the crazy thing about this story. So you have Abraham and Sarah. They have a son named Isaac, right? Isaac, he grows up in this dysfunctional home. And I can make a case about how Abraham was very dysfunctional. And so was Sarah. Isaac grows up and he's pretty dysfunctional too. And then he has a son. His son is Jacob. Remember, we're crying out to the God of Jacob. That's what that song says. He has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver. And Jacob was very dysfunctional. He had a brother named Esau, and they were, they were really at odds. And, and in fact, they learned favoritism early on. Just like, ask his mom, Rachel. They learned favoritism early on. We can have favoritism today. Absolutely. Jacob has 12 sons. These 12 sons are famously, and these 12 sons, incidentally, they're from four different women. This is a family full of stepmoms and step-aunts and step-brothers. Jacob has 12 sons from four different women. These 12 sons are at odds. And when you look at these 12 sons, you see murder, you see deceit, you see favoritism, you see all of these things in, 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 the, in these 12 sons. You see bitterness. You see resentment. You see unforgiveness. You see all these 12. And guess what these 12 guys are known for? They're the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. Have you ever thought of the 12 tribes of Israel as being a blended, dysfunctional family? Think about that. How God uses dysfunctional families for his glory. Here's it here. I want you to hear this. Your blended, messy life is perfect for God to work with. It's perfect for God to work with. Your blended, messy life. Let's look in the New Testament. Have you ever considered that Jesus grew up in a blended home? Joseph was not his biological father. The Holy Spirit came upon his mother, Mary, overshadowed her. She became pregnant. Joseph was stepdad <laughs> to Jesus. Have you ever considered that it started off as a blended family? And when you look at Jesus, and, and, and no doubt, Joseph, stepdad, loved Jesus like his own. No doubt. No doubt. But I think it's beautiful that the birth of our Savior started off in a blended family. Isn't that beautiful? The birth of our Savior started off with that. And when you look at a famous story in John chapter 4, you read, you see the heart of Jesus. I want to read a little bit to you. Now, he had gone, that's referring to Jesus, he had gone through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob, here's Jacob again, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman came to him. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Who are Samaritans? You have to go back to the year 722 B.C. 722 B.C. There were these 10 tribes that were carried away to Assyria. And the king of Assyria wanted to repopulate the land of Israel. So the king of Assyria sent four pagan nations back to that place where they were exiled from. That territory where the Israelites used to live. So the king of Assyria sent these four nations, pagan nations that worshiped other gods back to the place because there were a few Israelites that were still there. Well, guess what happens? These Assyrian pagans ended up having sex with these Israelites in Samaria. Imagine that. Foreigners, pagans from Assyria, blending with Israelites of pure Hebrew blood in this area called Samaria. They became known as the Samaritans. You know what they were? They were blended families. The pure-blooded Israelites saw them and said, they're not real. They're not pure enough. We're pure. They're not. They have stepbrothers from Assyria. They have stepmothers from Assyria. They have stepfathers from Assyria. They're not part of the blessing. They're not part of God's favor. And they turned their back, and the Samaria became known as Samaritans. And from then on, they, they, people looked at them in a condescending way. And they looked at them as, we're better, we're more superior to them. 722 years later, Jesus shows up to a well to reach out to his stepsister. Did you, did you hear that? Do you see what Jesus did? He came 722 years later to the woman who knew the rules. She knew what it felt like to be an Ishmael, an outcast, she knew what it felt like to be ostracized. She knew what it felt like to be overlooked. She knew what it felt like to have a mark. And Jesus goes and reaches out to the stepsister, so to speak, and loves on her and says, can I get a drink from you? And then he offers her living water. Do you see the heart of your God? Do you see the heart of your God? Can you see the heart of your God? This woman has a past. When you keep reading, she has, she's been married five times. And the guy she's living with right now, number six, they're just living together, not married. He, and she, she tells all this. And you see the heart of Jesus. And Jesus reaches out to her. See, there's nothing you have done that is too far for the grace of God. And there is no one too far for the grace of God. You may have kicked people out of your family and said, we don't talk to them anymore. And you may not have talked to them for months or even years. But the heart of God is he's still trying to reach them. He still loves them. He wants them to know his grace and his mercy. Isn't that, that's your God. That's who he is. And you see that conversation. And of course, the woman from Samaria goes and tells everyone. And she tells everyone, come and see this man who knows everything about my life. And many, she becomes a missionary in Samaria out of all places. So here's the, here's the, here's the moral of the story. You don't give up praying for Uncle Guido or, or Aunt whoever. You don't give up Uncle Willie or whatever it is. All of us have a Willie or Guido or whatever it is. Or that, the crazy aunt. You don't give up praying for them because you never know how God can use them. The prayer, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And you, you love on them when God gives you an opportunity. Truth is, they're expecting hate. There are some people that just expect hate. And they're going to be mean to you until you hate them. And then they're going to say, see, everybody hates me. That's what some people are just wired like that. They want people to hate them. There's nobody too far for Jesus. Uh, I'm, when, when you look at Acts chapter 2, you see the Holy Spirit come upon the early church. And you know what happens in that story? The people who are in that upper room, 
they start speaking in different languages. There's a message there. And the message is, this is a global gospel. Jesus is a global savior. He's a global savior. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for every skin color. Glory to God. It's for every skin color because we all need the grace of God. When we were at the Renaissance Apartments, I took this picture. And it's two thorn creakers, and they're praying for someone there who's going through a hard time. And I, I went up behind them, and I just took a picture. I'm so proud of our thorn creakers. And, and they were praying for this guy to come to know Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We're called to love on others wherever we live, whatever our subdivision or address may be. And I love this picture also. This is a picture I got, I got of uh, Faith and some other thorn creakers. And they were sitting down with these, these kids. Yeah, you know, one thing we discovered in these places, there were a lot of Afghanistan refugees, lots of them. And I had a conversation with one of them at the same place, at the same night. And I love seeing our women, our women sitting down with the kids. And way to go, women. A lot of you are doing that. And, and here's the truth. In that culture, in the Muslim culture, men really can't go up to women. It's, you just don't do that. And women can talk to women but a woman will not talk to you unless her husband is nearby. And they're, they're just very protective. And I saw our women sitting down with Muslim women and Muslim children playing board games with them. Sitting down, playing games with them and talking. And I, I, I told one of our Thorn Creekers, hey, I wonder what would happen if I go over there and sit on that blanket. You just see them scatter. And one of our Thorn Creekers who knows that culture pretty well, he said, Reuben, they probably wouldn't even go back and pick up that blanket later on. They just leave it alone. They just leave it alone. God's looking for people who will love on others. Jesus needs people who will love people like he loves people. Jesus needs people who, who, who look past skin color and say, I'm, I'm just going to love on them. Let me give you a word to remind you of who we are. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. And I want us to read that last sentence out loud. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Isn't that beautiful? Because of the blood of Jesus, we're all children of God, Jew and Gentile. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we're one race now. It's the Jesus race. We're all one in Christ Jesus, and we need each other. So when you're in, that, in, your, in your family, whatever that situation is like, I want you to remember that God loves them. I want you to remember that God cares about them. And, and never let hurt and anger and pain become a barrier so that someone, someone doesn't know the love of God. Because the, God has a purpose for them. And right now, the devil has them in spiritual chains. The devil has them in spiritual chains. Scripture says that the devil blinds those who don't believe. And you need to be praying for those chains to fall off, for them to see. Pray that they come to know Jesus because Jesus is the answer for the world. Jesus is the answer for every home. Jesus knows how to reconcile. Jesus can do anything. Jesus is Lord. He's king. He, he's, he's everything. He, Jesus can change everything. You pray in the name of Jesus Christ for your daughter. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ for your son. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ for your husband or for your wife or for your aunt or for your uncle. You pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Right now, I'm praying in the name of Jesus Christ for all of my descendants right now. You should know that, Kayla. You should know that, Jay. My daughter, Hannah. You should all know that. I'm praying for my children's children, children's children, children's children. I just prayed this two days ago. I said, Lord Jesus, I pray that they all walk with you, Jesus, all the days of their life. I pray, Jesus, that you use them for your church. It's the bride of Christ. I pray that you use them to advance your kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. May they all walk with you, Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be out of this world, but my prayers are going to be living in this world in the name of Jesus. You pray in the name of Jesus for those who aren't even around yet. And you don't give up praying. God can work a miracle in your blended family. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy. I thank you, God. And I want to lift up every family to you right now, God. 
whether they're blended or not, we need you, Jesus. Save and transform, Lord, and heal. And I just rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. You have no business attacking our homes, attacking our marriages, attacking our children. May the blood of you, you, Jesus, cover our homes. I pray that you give them sleep and peace. Help us to manage our own hearts so we don't teach our children to be resentful, to be unforgiving, to be bitter, but instead we teach them mercy and grace and love, and we personify that, God. So watch over us, Lord. Build strong families, strong homes that are centered on you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. I'm so grateful, Jesus that you came from a blended family, and I'm so grateful you talked to that woman at the well. Thank you. Thank you for never giving up on us. And if you're ready to receive Jesus into your heart, or maybe you're ready to turn back to Jesus, say this prayer. Jesus, I turn back to you right now. Jesus, I, I turn to you with all of my heart. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I want to walk with you. So I give you my life, and as best as I know how, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, God. And some of you need to say this prayer. God, heal me from my anger, my hurt, my wounds, my pain. Help me to love like you love. In Jesus' name we pray.